Pete, I noticed you have something in your hand there. It is the Lawnmower 3.0 from Manscaped. And uh, I don't know if you know this about me. I'm not really a beard wearing guy. Mm-hmm. I've obviously had this for the duration mm-hmm. of since we've been doing the podcast since, you know, I guess it was June when we pretty much got a, a start on this season. Um, but I've only been growing this beard because of the mm-hmm. pandemic. I thought it was a great idea. Maybe I'll get a chance to grow a beard for the first time in my life. Many COVID beards out yeah, there. Yeah. And many people don't know me as a beard wearer. And I don't really know myself as a beard And I've wearer. known you for many years and you were never a beard wearer. And I was going to say something. Yeah. Well, nobody really, I mean, I don't mind it. Nobody really likes it, I'm sure. And I've been, I've been smart enough to keep it trim because I got this lawnmower 3.0. Uh, so all year I've been keeping it trim, but right now it looks a little bit, uh, fuzzy and time gross. to go, you think? Yeah. So I was going to do this here and mm-hmm. give you a show. I know you know because you have one of these. I things, have one. And, and honestly, it's the best. I mean, I've had products like that before. It is the best shaving product I've ever had. It's not even close. So I was going to just trim myself up and uh, maybe not show you, but show everybody else how uh, how good I'm going to look afterwards. But so just me, to be clear, we will fast forward this, will we not? Yeah, nobody wants to see this. Okay, great. Forgive me, because it's kind of gross. Okay. All right. So I know this is disgusting. Yeah, in retrospect, uh, maybe take two, you throw down some paper towel, perhaps? Yeah, I don't know if there's a take two now, but what do you think? No, there's no question about the shaving quality. Yeah. And you were and you were throwing it around there pretty loosey-goosey, not really seemingly worried about cutting yourself. No, and you don't need to because it's got the uh, patented blade where it's uh, no, no nicks, is what they say about this uh, here blade. I'll tell you, with Manscaped, it provides the best in men's grooming and hygiene, made only from the best products and ingredients for the modern man. And Manscaped has changed the grooming game with their perfect package 3.0 Essentials Kit. Now, this is a package that comes with the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0, the the water-resistant cordless body trimmer, which Mm -hmm. you know about. Uh, Their advanced skin-safe technology and cutting-edge ceramic blade makes your trimming nick-free. So, and the uh, kit includes an anti-chafing deodorant. As opposed to a chafing deodorant. (laughs) Nobody wants that. (laughs) No, or a chafing odorant. Yes, nobody wants an odorant. Yeah, Yeah, it it includes the anti-chafing deodorant and a moisturizer to help you feel and smell your best. Subscribers to what we call the Perfect Package 3.0 kit get new replacement blades delivered to the door every three months. And for a limited time, you get not one, but two free gifts. So you get the shed, which is a travel bag, where you can put all your accoutrements in, and you get the patented high-performance anti-chafing mm-hmm. Manscaped boxer briefs. Yes, I'm wearing mine right now. You probably are. And I'm You'll gonna, have to take my word for I'm, it. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm just going to have to take your word for it. You can get 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com when you use the promo code... What if 20? That's right. All one word. You still got something over here. Do I? I'll fix this in the break. Let's yeah. get to the show. Wow, you really do clean up well. Right? I feel so much better, so much lighter, and, uh, you know, this is just feels right. Not to, to be a hater on the beard, but this is the Pete I know and love. Thank you. I hope uh, everybody else loves it, too. Uh, how do you feel about a little game of solar system trivia today? <laughs> solar system trivia? Well, why not? Sweeping the nation. I mean... <laughs> If there's one thing I probably know a bit about is the solar a bit about is the solar system working at what if, you know, half of our videos are set in space. So I could probably keep up. You think you know your way around the solar system, Uh, do you? I mean, yeah, enough. I can I can get there. Okay, let's get cosmic. Start the insanity. Where is Earth 
in relation or proximity to the sun in the sort of order of planets? Where is it? Well, this is Solar System 101. And uh, actually, sorry, it wouldn't really be Solar System 101. I say that only because during the 2000s, it kept getting rammed in my head. This NBC promo, Thursdays, watch. I think it was Must See TV. Third Rock from the Sun. Uh, John Lithgow, Jane Curtin, Kristen Johnson, and of course, a young JGL who I think is a great actor. Jay, I mean, Joseph Gordon-Levitt for, um, the, for, the, for the non-converts. Right? We were just saying earlier, I really like that guy. I think he would be friends with us for some reason. I would hope that he's a fan of the show. So yes, uh, JGL, if you are listening. <laughs> JGL, call us JGL. Yes, we'd love to have you on. Okay, question number two. What is the smallest planet today in our solar system? Today, well, I know where you're trying to lead me down in that pathway, but here's a little tidbit that you don't, maybe you do know, maybe you don't know. Ceres, a lot of people don't know Ceres. It's a dwarf planet, which would technically make it the smallest planet in the solar system, although it's not technically a planet. It's the largest body in the main uh, asteroid field in between Mars and Jupiter. Yet to be upgraded to planetary status. Yet to be upgraded. So in that case, I would say Pluto, except for the fact that this is where you were trying to suck me in. Mm-hmm. Pluto was downgraded in 2006. Bad day for uh, for Pluto. Lost planet status, although there's still a lot of people around the world who are fighting for Pluto. Yes. Still, uh, the smallest planet then becomes Mercury. Mercury. And for bonus correct. points, mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you Mercury, just slightly larger than our moon. Hmm. Well... For showing off, you'll be deducted points. How is that? <laughs> Next time, just I'm answer the question. Uh, finally, what is the largest planet in our solar system? I think uh, every schoolboy knows that's Jupiter. And that is correct. And of course, most people do know that Jupiter is the biggest planet in the un- in the solar system, but not much more than that. So what if Jupiter never existed? Well, I can tell you, I do know a lot about that. Normally, I wouldn't know a lot about something like that, but I did provide the voice for the What If video, What If Jupiter Never Existed. I can uh, tell you a few things about it, but it'd probably be smarter for us to have a special guest that might be able to expound upon that. Like maybe an astronomer from NASA? Why not? Dr. Steve Levin received his PhD in physics from Berkeley in 1987. He began his career at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory in 1990. He's the project scientist for NASA's Juno mission. Juno is a solar-powered spacecraft which has been orbiting Jupiter since July 4, 2016. For a few hours every 53 days, Juno passes within a few thousand kilometers of the giant planet and collects a wealth of new information about Jupiter. The data collected so far has revolutionized our understanding of Jupiter and of giant planets in general. Great to have you with us, Dr. Levin. Thanks for joining us here today on What If Discussed. My pleasure. Sounds like it's going to be fun. Well, we're going to be talking Jupiter. and That's fun. We'll get to the bigger what if in a bit. But to be honest, Peter and I were talking sort of uh, before you came on that, yeah, most people know that you know, Jupiter's the biggest planet in the solar system. 11 times the size of Earth. 11 right? times the size of Earth. I think most people don't know that, but a good factoid. Mm-hmm. Um, some people might know that it's a gas giant. I, di- I didn't know for years that it was the fifth planet from the sun and that we're mm-hmm. separated 
you know, Mars and then Jupiter that close to Earth. But I mean, basically, my point is relatively little common knowledge about Jupiter. It didn't feel like we'd been able to do much exploration. Well, the Juno mission that obviously you're such a big part of has changed the game. How much have we learned about Jupiter since Juno uh, sort of left Earth in 2016? So um, the phrase we like to use around the the project is it's a whole new Jupiter. Hmm. Basically, we sent Juno to Jupiter to measure a bunch of things that hadn't been measured before to try to peek beneath the clouds, right? Because even though Jupiter, as you said, 11 times bigger than the Earth, that's the radius. So it means you could fit over a thousand Earths inside it. It's the most massive planet in the solar system by far, more than twice the mass of all the others combined. And we've been studying it for hundreds of years. Galileo looked at it with his telescope hundreds of years ago. Um, Even though we have all of that, mostly we didn't know what lay beneath the clouds. We'd look at Jupiter from the Earth, and it's this giant atmosphere, and it's covered with clouds. So we sent Juno there to use gravity to measure what the interior looks like, to measure the magnetic field, which comes from deep inside the planet, to use radio radio waves that can see through the clouds uh, to go over the poles of Jupiter for the first time, really, and take great pictures in the north and south where you can't see it from Earth because it's all in the same plane in the solar system. A whole bunch of new kinds of measurements, measuring particles in Jupiter's magnetic field, things like that. And essentially, everything we measured gave us a surprise. Hmm. We were looking for, is there a dense core down in the center? And Sure, we expected something between maybe 3 and 20 times the mass of the Earth down in the center, but what we found looks like maybe it's not a dense core with a sharp boundary. Maybe it's sort of fuzzy, and it takes up like half the radius of the planet. We measured the magnetic field, and it was way more complex than we expected it to be with all these bumps and wiggles in it, and and it doesn't look like a dipole like the Earth's field, and it's way different in the north than the south. We measured through the clouds with our radio receivers, And we found that the deep atmosphere doesn't get well mixed the way you'd expect. Everybody thought, you know, get beneath the clouds and it's this giant ball of gas. It should be pretty much the same anywhere you look. Well, that's totally wrong. So we got surprises every single thing we took a look at. Even the pictures over the North and South Poles, it looks so different that the first time we looked at the pictures, a lot of the people in the room were saying, are you sure that's Jupiter? It just didn't look at all like Jupiter looks like from the side. And those pictures have been shared, right? And people can, where can people find those pictures just before I forget? Yeah, so there's this great opportunity out there. So we have a website called Mission Juno, uh, missionjuno.swri.edu, but you can get to it from NASA's website or just Google Mission Juno. And the Juno cam images, that's the images from our visible light camera. Basically, we just dump the raw data out on the web and let anybody who wants to play with it, make their own pictures, fix up the colors, stitch things together, however much work you want to do, and post them. And we've gotten an amazing response. Uh, we've, there's several people out there who are real power users who, who take that data and turn it into these amazing pictures beginning to end. There's a lot more people who take the intermediate steps and use those and try stretching the color, changing the contrast, or combining them to make movies and do some great things. People are doing science, people are doing art, people are making pretty pictures. It's really been fun. 
Uh, Talk about that planet in relation to our planet. I don't know if everybody knows how much Jupiter may have affected Earth's development. Uh, Among other things, it's protected us from a lot of flying rocks. But uh, what else? Right. So the the flying rocks thing is basically uh, if you imagine something drifting into the inner solar system when it gets near Jupiter's orbit, Jupiter gravitationally is likely to perturb it. And a lot more of those get shot outward than get shot inward so it can protect us. Um, But more generally, just the formation of the whole solar system. When we look at how did planets form, which by the way is something scientists don't really understand all the details about, the most important models for how does the solar system form, how do we get the planets, um, indicate that Jupiter came first, Uh, Not too surprising because it's the largest. It got there first. It got all the material. And then it affected the formation of the whole rest of the solar system. So there's there's lots of ways to think about that. But the one I like the best is if you just look at our solar system like you were an alien or something and don't know what's there, you'd come along, you'd see the sun, and you'd say, maybe that's it. That's all there is is this star. And you'd be 99.5% right or something because almost all the mass is in the sun. And then if you looked a little bit further and said, oh, wait, I see that speck, that's Jupiter, right? You'd be more than two-thirds right if you said that's all that's left because Jupiter is more than two-thirds of the remaining mass. Well, the sun formed first, and then Jupiter formed out of the leftovers from the sun, and then everything else formed out of the leftovers from Jupiter. So in a really important sense, if I want to understand where did the Earth come from, I better start with where did Jupiter come from? Otherwise, I'm never going to get the picture. So I guess the short answer to what if Jupiter never existed would be Earth wouldn't have existed, and I'm guessing the rest of the solar system wouldn't have existed? Well, I love that question because it's actually way more complicated than it sounds. Hmm. So imagine... I, when you asked me that question, the first thing I thought of is, okay, imagine Jupiter just didn't start to form. What would happen? Well, the answer there is probably one of the other planets would have gotten a whole lot bigger and sort of become like Jupiter. Hmm. Because if you look at the other really big ones, it's Saturn and Uranus and Neptune, what we think most likely happened is as the planets formed, they drifted around because they're eating up the material that makes the initial cloud of gas and dust, and that changes their momentum, and so their orbits shift around. And those other planets probably came along after Jupiter was really big. Jupiter altered their orbits dramatically. looks like it probably sent them outward away from the sun, and they didn't have as much stuff. Jupiter ate all the stuff first before they could get there. So if Jupiter wasn't there, well, maybe Saturn drifts in further and Saturn eats all the stuff and looks a whole lot like Jupiter does now. Of course, exactly where they ended up depends on all of that process. So if you take Jupiter out of the mix, you totally rearrange things. Maybe we get a giant planet close to the sun, or maybe we don't get a giant planet planet anywhere near the sun and there's really big ones out far away and we only have little planets close to the sun or, or have six of them or 10 of them instead of eight or nine. Um, all of that would be different if Jupiter didn't form. And on top of that, right, well, if you say, okay, suppose Jupiter formed and we got all the planets in the right place, but now I'm going to just reach in and pop Jupiter out of the picture and say, what happens? 
then you get a totally different kind of answer, right? The other planets don't get perturbed that much anymore, but anything that's falling into the inner solar system, like comets and asteroids, uh, mostly really small rocks, maybe you wouldn't call them asteroids, meteors, things like that, without Jupiter there, they don't get perturbed their same way. Their orbits are very different. Mars isn't big enough to do much of anything. So then you worry about, well, we get hit by comets more often, or uh, if you pluck Jupiter out of the picture after everything formed, but before everything had settled down, then you get a different answer. Maybe the amount of water on the Earth might be different because Jupiter probably influenced that. So any step along in the process, if you don't have Jupiter, you get a different picture. But what picture you get depends on when you took Jupiter away. It's funny because these days, you know, more people are talking about how interconnected things are here, how we have to be reminded that even though there's seemingly a lot of distance between us and the other side of the world, and in fact, everything has this sort of butterfly effect, if you will, and affects everything else. So it's, it's, it's interesting to see that that's the case, obviously, the further we zoom out into the solar system as well. You mentioned uh, smaller rocks uh, and... Uh, these days, of course, the moons around Jupiter, I think, especially in this sort of astronomical circles, uh, are getting as much attention maybe even as Jupiter, uh, especially Europa, Ganymede, etc. What has Juno been able to sort of glean more about uh, Jupiter's moons? Okay, so first I should say our most important job so far about Europa has been to stay the heck away from it. Hmm. And that's because people are very excited about the fact that Europa appears to have a liquid water ocean underneath its icy surface and maybe find life in that ocean. So picture 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now, you finally built a system that can do it and you fly to Europa and you land on the ice and you dig down beneath the ice and we don't know whether that's a few feet or a few hundred miles, but you dig through the ice, you get into the water, you sample the water, you find life, and then you have to say, but I don't know if that came from Europa or contamination from when Juno hit it 50 years ago. That would be a problem. Mm. So because we're there to study Jupiter, we have to be, very, and we didn't, go through all the steps you do for, say, a Mars mission to make it as clean as possible and have no bacteria on it or anything like that, nothing that could survive, we have to show we're not going to contaminate Europa. And what we did at the beginning is we said, all right, well, we're there to study the, the main planet, not Europa. We'll just stay the heck away from it. However, we're coming near the end of our prime mission. We're writing, actually sending it in today, I think, an extended mission proposal to NASA to ask to keep giving us money to continue because the spacecraft's doing well and we have lots of great new science we can do. And part of that proposal, which of course NASA will have to decide if they have the money, part of that proposal is to study Europa because we think with our radio receivers um, that we use to look at the atmosphere, we can look at Europa and tell you something about maybe how thick the ice is and whether there's water near the surface. Um, we have other instruments that if we're lucky, maybe we'll see a plume and be able to tell something about whether Europa has geysers or not sticking out into space. We can look at all the other satellites. And I would not think of that as, assuming it gets funded, as a, um, like, prime mission that studies the satellites because that's not what we were there for and we're not 
geared to do everything you want to do to study Europa. But it's a great advanced scout mission for mm-hmm. NASA's mission Europa Clipper or the European mission JUICE that want to go to Jupiter and study those moons and learn a lot more. We can learn a little bit that might help them refine where they do their measurements and what they do. We can measure some things that they weren't designed to measure because they're focused on on stuff that was more Europa specific. And we have instruments that were really focused on Jupiter. So we measure slightly different things. There's lots of great stuff we can do if we get, if NASA decides that they want to fund our extended mission or has the money to fund the extended mission. And wow. if, if it includes your own breaking news here on what if yeah. discussed. Yeah, yeah. Um, to say that this is the golden age of space exploration would be an understatement. We talked about the Juno mission. NASA launched a probe to Mars earlier this year. We got the announcement last week and we had a guest on talking about the possibility of phosphine on Venus and what that might spur in terms of further exploration. What is it like to be working at NASA these days? I got to say it's really fun. I mean, I, I've been working for NASA one way or the other for about 30 years. And um, it's always been fun because we're exploring. We're trying to figure out things where nobody knows the answer. Um, but right now, we're getting close to some really important answers. Uh, we're learning, you know, it's, it's in my lifetime, in my career as a scientist is you know, at the beginning of my career, nobody had discovered any planets around any other star besides our own. Now it's practically, practically routine. Oh, they found another planet around some other star. And it's only interesting if it's a special case, if it's more Earth-like or it's really close to its star or really far from its star or things like that. We're getting distributions of that. We're learning how many planets there are typically in our own system. We're learning about different ways to look for life within our own solar system, and we're getting further along doing it. Our robots have gotten so good that we can launch robotic spacecraft and do these exploration things that, you know, when I was growing up, I thought only, you know, you'd have to have people there to do. And of course, it's way easier to send a robot than it is to send a person, mostly because the robot doesn't care if you give it a ride home. (laughs) So... <clears throat> all of that, it's its really a great time to be doing space exploration. Yeah. And I mean, with the way the world is these days, I, I know Peter and I have experienced this before that when we get to talk to people like yourself that, you know, help us zoom out and remind us that the world isn't our little navel gazing day to day, that there's just obviously so much beyond this planet, so much to look forward to, and even so much to be optimistic about the future versus all the dystopian sci-fi and post-apocalyptic stuff. I think we see a lot. It's easy to forget that. So this is great. Can you stick around and talk? You mentioned some of those exoplanets and, and kind of future NASA missions. Can you stick around for a bit? Sure. So we were, we are going to take a break with uh, Dr. Levin right now, and he will be part of the extended audio podcast. Exactly. Which you can find, I guess, if you're watching YouTube, the link is where, Peter? Listen, if you're watching this on YouTube right now, you want to click on the link and you'll get the extended audio version of the podcast and we can hear the rest of the conversation with Dr. Levin. Um, but if that's all the time you have for us today, then, uh, well, that's fine too. You can, you're going to stick around because we're still going to do a little video chat after this um, and then we'll check in on part two later. But yeah, so yeah, Peter and I will sort of sum up our, our, our takeaways from the first half. Where can people, you mentioned the website for the, for the footage uh, from the Juno mission. Where can people find that again? And uh, where can people follow your work? So um, the easiest thing for people to remember is if you 
go to NASA's website and search for Juno. You'll find all of this stuff with links to everything. But the main Juno website is a site called Mission Juno. So it's missionjuno.swri.edu. And if you just Google Mission Juno, you'll find it. Or if you do a web search for Juno Cam, you'll find us. Um, it's pretty easy. Just so long as you got NASA or Jupiter or something in there to keep from getting confused with all the other Junos out there. Uh, like the Juno Awards up here in Canada. Which <laughs> Google honor, will get you there, yeah, basically. Which honor the best of Canadian music. You don't want, that's a, an entirely yeah. different Juno. You might want to see uh, that. Yes. Uh, Dr. Well, maybe you do we'll, want that site too. It's pretty interesting. I think Alanis Morissette won a Juno back in the day as, as Alanis. But that's a story for, for another. another whatever. Yeah. Okay, Dr. Levin, sit tight. We'll be back with you in a sec. And uh, Peter and I will be back to sort of sum up our takeaways from our conversation with Dr. Levin about the Juno mission and what if Jupiter never existed. Cool. So I guess like Dr. Levin and, and the people at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory with NASA, uh, they learn stuff. We learn stuff. They learned that some of the things that they had assumed or known about Jupiter turned out not to be true or 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 were at least more than they had expected, of course, because they got to finally actually look at it from a quality pictures, quality pictures deeper. So they got to go beneath the gas surface and mm -hmm. see what's happening down there. Had some assumptions about it, but in fact, were I think happily proven wrong. I like when uh, NASA does some things like that and we find out about it and we can bring it to the viewers. Mm -hmm. It's almost that fast. I mean. Well, I mean, in this particular case, you're having some real time learning going on because, again, he's giving us the sort of the backstory as to what they learned at the time. And then we're learning that. And to your point, then people listening or watching are learning. I mean, I, I learned also that we have this sort of big brother, big sister relationship with Jupiter on Earth. Right. I mean, it's been essentially shielding us protecting us for all this time. And I had never honestly before. I know it sounds stupid, maybe, but I'd never thought that, you know, all that space debris and asteroids coming in this direction would have naturally potentially hit us if we weren't kind of protected from that, uh, that yeah. side. Well, you know what I uh, thought was interesting was that if Jupiter, he gave us a, an idea of how the universe was formed. Jupiter obviously was, or not obviously, we learned today mm -hmm. or I learned today, it was the second object mm -hmm. in the solar system. And if it hadn't been there or if it wasn't there, it, there's a possibility Earth wouldn't be here either. Yeah. So it's not a small relationship we have with Jupiter and what if Jupiter never existed. As it turns out, again, as we sort of put it out there, if Jupiter never existed, there's the possibility that Earth never existed, but he also added a bit of a sort of a caveat to that, that whoever else would have been there, they might have gotten, let's say, the leftover mass. Yeah. So maybe in a different scenario, Earth would have been the size of Jupiter. And instead of having 7 billion people here, we'd have 700 billion people here. Or maybe it wouldn't have uh, stayed in the habitable zone. Or maybe it would go have gotten too big and there wouldn't have been enough water on it to sustain life. There would have been a whole host of other reasons why maybe life didn't exist, never came to be on Earth. You know what it sounds like to me, Peter? It sounds like a story for another what if. Well, uh, if you want to hear more of our conversation with uh, NASA's Steve Levin and you're watching the video podcast on YouTube, well, what you're going to do is click on the link below and it will take you to the extended audio version. Now, some of you 
are listening already on the audio podcast. There's no link for you. Don't look for anything. Just You're... stay tuned. <laughs> no. So join us on the other side. We'll talk more about life on other planets and uh, and uh, well, space exploration space and a whole bunch of other cool stuff. Europa. Um, and if that's all the time you have for us today, well, thanks for watching. You can join us next week when we talk about the mysteries of the octopus with the director of the film, My Octopus Teacher. You won't see an octopus in the same light ever again. No, I mean, they're fascinating. That's why that movie has blown up on Netflix, My Octopus Teacher. And it'll be really cool to get some insight. What if has done a couple of octopus or pie videos. Octopuses. Uh, but uh, this is going to be a really cool conversation. Right. That's next week on What If Discussed. Welcome back to What If Discussed. We are with Dr. Steve Levin from NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory. We're talking Jupiter. We're talking the solar system. But like many people, uh, you aren't just one dimensional. You have many interests. And I have read in preparing for our discussion today that not only are you interested in, in Jupiter and after a, essentially a 30 year career in NASA, I'm guessing you're interested in a lot of things astronomical, uh, celestial, etc. And that would also make sense that you are interested in SETI's research. We've had Dr. Andrew uh, Simeon on uh, here. Uh, we've had uh, Jill Tarter on from, from SETI, the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence, for those people that don't know the acronym. So we talked about Europa earlier. We talked about the possibility that there might be water there. That seems to be the the conventional wisdom in 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 astronomical circles mm -hmm. it feels like there's just a lot of things bubbling and going on phosphine on venus phosphine on venus all it seems like you know you talked about exoplanets and the discovery of those does it feel just to peter people like peter and i that something is imminent or would this also be kind of the the buzz around nasa circles so i don't know if i know what the buzz around NASA circles are but to me at least um, it feels like we're making great discoveries every day. Um, something is imminent, sure, because there's always another discovery around the, the corner. Whether that means we're about to find life on another planet or in, in another location, I have no idea. Uh, and part of that is because we just know so little about how ubiquitous life is. Um, we, and, and what kind of life, right? Because most of us, when we think of life in outer space, we're probably not thinking of bacteria or single-celled organisms, right? We're thinking of at least something as complicated as, you know, a mouse or, or a fish, um, let alone intelligent life. And yet, if we look at what happened here on the Earth, it was billions of years before life turned into anything as complicated as, as a little animal running around. For, for most of the history of the Earth, life was single-celled organisms. So my guess, and it's purely a guess, is that we'll probably find single-celled organisms somehow first or evidence that they were around. Uh, and that could be any day, right? That could be in the atmosphere of Venus. It could be uh, in the ocean of Europa. It could be, you know, somebody in sitting in somebody's laboratory data right now from a meteorite that hit the earth that you and I haven't heard of yet. Hmm. 
On the other hand, even though I would guess that intelligent life out there is much less common, maybe it's easier to detect. If, after all, if, if there's aliens on a planet orbiting some star halfway across the galaxy, it's totally reasonable to think that they could be 100,000 years ahead of us in their civilization. That's the blink of an eye compared to how long it would take, right? So if they're 100,000 years ahead of us, maybe they have a way of sending us a radio signal or some other kind of signal that's super strong and easier to t- detect. And all we have to do is be looking in the right direction at the right time. Mm-hmm. They're at least emitting something like mm-hmm. an, a protozoa or a bacteria is not emitting any sort of sound or signal. Right. And, and, you know, there's people who are looking for life by looking for how it would change the planet. Because if you look at our earth, the main reason we have oxygen all over the place in the earth's atmosphere is life. So there's people who have ideas to go look for uh, life on planets around other stars by trying to sense their atmosphere and see if they can see changes that would have been made by those single-celled organisms. Hmm. So it's just, there's a million different ways to do this. And I'm sure everybody working on it thinks that their way is the best or they wouldn't be doing that. Uh, But we don't really know until somebody says, aha, look over here, look what I found. Whether... uh, it's better to be looking for single-celled organisms in the ocean on Europa or radio signals from one of the nearest thousand stars or, or something where the planets Kepler discovered. All of those things, anything could be, could be possible. Wow. We've talked a lot here about uh, the future of space travel and how it's changed, like uh, the Elon Musks and Richard Bransons and the Bezoses. And after all talking about uh, essentially taking space travel private, which is fine if you're a billionaire and you can afford a trip to the moon. But as far as space exploration, NASA is obviously still very much leading the way. Give us an idea of the bigger picture vision for NASA going forward. What are, what are you, what is NASA doing going forward from here? So let me start by saying I'm the wrong person to ask that to, <laughs> uh, because it's way above my pay grade. Um, but you're on the ground just so boots on the ground. Maybe you can just uh, give us the, uh, general picture of somebody who's inside the building. So what I see is NASA is trying to help us as, as you know, the the country, the citizens, the world explore and learn about the universe we live in. And they've broken it up into themes that are, you know, the, the universe at large or the solar system or the interactions with the sun or, um, different things like that. Um, but they're all the same big picture. It's let's try to answer questions where we don't know the answer. And what it takes to get NASA to say, I'm going to, you know, we as an agency are going to spend hundreds of millions of dollars on a, on a mission is, is this mission going to answer really big, important questions? And is it going to work? And probably is it the right time to be doing it now? So NASA asked the scientific community, and every 10 years, they, we write uh, decadal survey books that say, here's what it all looks like now, and here's what we recommend NASA go try to answer. And we try to pay attention both to what's important and to, you know, is there any prayer of getting that done? But 
those decisions that they have to make at NASA headquarters are always going to be hard and they're always going to be limited by, we don't have enough money to do everything. We don't have enough knowledge to know exactly what's most important. And um, we also have to have to judge uh, a trade-off between doing things that are brand new and never been done before and doing things that we know are going to work because you all know that the, the thing that are most guaranteed to work are the things that are usually most boring. So there has to be some decision of, is this far enough out as an idea and not so far out that we don't think we should spend the taxpayer's money on it. And I'm really glad that's all above my pay grade because those are hard decisions. Well, it won't be uh, for this next question because we're going to actually hypothetically put you in that situation where, in fact, you're being asked to pitch the general population, let's say on behalf of NASA, not to make a case for a specific mission, but really for those people out there who sometimes don't understand why space exploration, like you said, very expensive space exploration is still important, right? You can you can make that sort of practical argument that oh, we got problems here. We don't need to be. But I would suspect that somebody that's especially been, been at us for as long as you have uh, not only really deeply understands the connection practically, but also why it's important for us to as a species to be better understanding, not just our next door neighbors, but beyond. And it also, you know, I mentioned the dystopian future. You know, you get a lot of people just thinking ah, we're not going to be. I, f- I find this sort of space exploration and, and even our discussion today is the type of thing that lifts you up. It gets yeah. you excited. It gets you enthusiastic. It reminds you that there's just we're just at the beginning here. What would you tell people, Doctor Levin, if you had to if you had to pitch them on why it's so important? So I'll I'll answer why it's so important in just a moment. But I do want to take issue with one thing you said as you were leading up to that, which was pointing out how expensive it is. Um, it's only expensive if you look at it from the point of view of what if I were paying for the whole thing. If you compare it with, say, going to the movies, right, making a a major motion picture costs something similar to what it costs to do a space mission. But we don't call it hugely expensive because we think of it in terms of what do I pay when I go to the movies? Well, what you pay for any given space mission is pennies. So I wouldn't think of it as uh, expensive. However, there's lots of good reasons, and even if it were super expensive, I would argue it's worth it. So we could go into some of those. Sure. And and that's a great analogy, actually, because yeah. when you think about it that way, like I think, uh, you know, Patrick Mahomes just, you know, signed with the Kansas City Chiefs <laughs> for $500 million. He can afford whatever. five missions. Yes. So, yes, that's good perspective, uh, Dr. Levin, on, 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 you know, being able to send uh, probes out to different planets being actually less expensive than a quarterback playing the NFL. Um, what is, for, from your perspective, the let's say the biggest value that we glean collectively as a society from, from continued space exploration? So from my perspective, there's lots of other values, but the biggest one that I see is actually the fact that we're learning new things about the world we live in. It's equivalent to saying, What's the value in a painting by Michelangelo or um, a, a great book written by, you know, one of the, the classic authors who, a, a book that's going to last for centuries. Um, it's the value to our society in 
broadening the big picture that we all get. I can list lots of practical things. There's all kinds of technology that we wouldn't have if we didn't have a space program. Um, your cell phone and your computer wouldn't exist if it weren't for the space program. Um, we, we grow engineers and scientists better in the United States probably than anywhere else in the world. And part of that is because of the space program. Um, I, one of the things I do outside of NASA is I'm involved in education. And I know from working with school kids that, you know, you say this, the word space or you talk about astronomy and their eyes light up and you have their full attention. Those are all valuable things. And I don't want to belittle them. Um, but at the same time, I don't want us to lose sight of the fact that we have a society and a culture that's more than just can I feed myself day to day. And sure, if I, if I didn't have enough money to spend on, on food, it wouldn't matter whether I have books to read or can go to a museum and see great art. Um, but that doesn't mean we spend all of our money on food and shelter, we spend some of our resources on things like great art and great literature and great science. Uh, in the long run, the science will pay off in other ways. And there's a, a zillion examples of things where people thought they were studying something purely for the love of science. And then 10, 20, 50, 100 years later, it was discovered to have major importance in some practical way. So that's also extremely valuable. Uh, but to me, the way I look at it personally, all of that is great added value. And the really most important thing is, is just civilization. This is part of being civilized and part of being human beings and not just animals. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Well said. Yeah. Perfect way to end yeah. our conversation today on what if discussed, not only understanding better what if Jupiter never existed, but really getting to zoom out even further into the solar system and just generally understanding what is really a wildly exciting time, as we said earlier, uh, to just be in the in the sort of the space game, but also not just for people uh, on the inside. So many people, like you said, participating online, in a lot of these missions and getting really excited about this. So it really feels like we're kind of all in this together. And obviously we here at What If and What If Discussed are big, big fans and big supporters of what you guys do. So continued success with the work you're doing. And where can people find specifically what uh, what you're doing and follow you? Huh. Uh, I I don't know that I have a uh, anything that's really very up to date, but if you go to JPL's website, there's a under science, um, you can find uh, little mini websites for each of the people, including me. Excellent stuff. And of course, we're going to include the links that we discussed earlier. Uh, really great stuff today. Continued success, Dr. Levin. And thanks for joining us today on What If Discussed. Thanks so much. My pleasure. It's been a lot of fun. Great stuff, of course, with uh, Dr. Steve Levin from the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. You know what I like about him? NASA. He was not just, you know, your typical smart scientist, but he also seemed to have a sense of the world and a sense of mm -hmm. humanity to him as well. It's a good way to put it because he was a very, it came across in how he was able to communicate. Again, it's always something we appreciate when somebody who is at a different level, a different stratosphere, even intelligence wise, especially in specialized areas like the 
cosmos and astronomy that they're able to 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 really uh talk about it in a way that helps people really understand i mean i had never really thought much about jupiter to be honest before even getting ready for the show i mean we've you know we thought about mars we've seen the probes go to you know the rovers uh, venus is in the news recently mars has been like for the past hundred years people have been talking Mars, so that's always front of mind Nobody really talks about Venus or Mercury or, yeah. or anything else. Maybe because they're gas giants and maybe we just don't think that. But interestingly enough, it sounds like, and he was, you know, again, they're always going to be a little non-committal about getting too excited. But if you asked a bunch of astronomers to bet and lay cash as to where there might be life discovered in this solar system, either signs formally of intelligent life or the possibilities of life going forward. A lot of people are going to say uh, Saturn's uh, moon Titan, or they're going to say Jupiter's moon Europa. Yes, you're going to hear about Venus and Mars and other things as well, but those are really in the game. And the fact that this mission that they have, you know, already been at for four years, taking these incredible pictures, which you you would have seen earlier if you were watching or, or listen or yeah, watching the uh, the YouTube uh, version, but that they're potentially going to extend that mission for Europa. For Europa, breaking news, breaking news right here again on what if discussed. But that, I mean, and again, if you're pitching somebody who's already shelled out the cash for your mission, and you're it, you're you know, already there. We're literally right there. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, like, we don't have to go all the way home and come back <laughs> in a few years or as he was talking about decades, right? Going back to Jupiter and, yeah. and looking at Europa. Yes. Let's go get some pictures while you're there. It just seems to make sense. And it's also, I, you know, I appreciated his correction of me, you know, when I said it was super expensive. You know, yeah, you hear, you know, $100 million missions, whatever. But to his point, yeah, the average blockbuster is probably $100 million to make. And we have no problem going and shelling out 20 bucks to go see that. Not at all. Imagine if you had the money and you said, eh, you know what, we'd better, we'd be better off if we spent it on making roads and whatever. You had the technology to go to outer space and to learn about the universe and you chose not to so that you could pave roads. And well, I mean, mm-hmm. you'd probably do, be doing more than paving roads. Yes. Probably going to healthcare and, and food and, and much bigger causes than that. But imagine just how anxious you would be knowing that you have the power to get out there mm-hmm. and explore and find out about our universe and like he mm-hmm. said find out about us because mm-hmm. the universe is teaching us about us and i don't want to say we'd be amish and for any amish people no. listening well i guess they wouldn't be um <laughs> but he's right you hear this a lot if you if you you know watch some of the documentaries about the moon or whatever the exponential rate of advancement in technology in the last 50 years is almost single-handedly attributed to space exploration. They say that if we weren't having to figure all this stuff out to go to moon, to do all these other things, we wouldn't have developed the level of technology that we have as these, you know, cell phones and computers and everything else. So there is Kevlar. There, there's so many of those sort of, let's call them ancillary byproducts of space exploration from a technology standpoint, from an economical standpoint that we don't necessarily think about. But in the end, you know, I'm glad he touched on it because for me, I think I think he's right. And I agree that the most valuable part is to be reminded that, man, it's just not all about us. Right. There's so much more. And that makes me excited about the future rather than being constantly. And it seems like in an echo chamber of, yeah, we got like 30 years and we're done here. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that might be true, too. It's not all about us, but it is all about finding out 
for us, we about us finding out. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a learning process for every living human. I mean, we're basically doing it for the benefit of human education. Keep exploring. The truth is out there. But also, if this was 200 years ago, we'd be exploring the rest of the planet. And if we at the time said, you know what, that's, you know, those boats, they're a little expensive. We never oh, yeah. would have discovered the rest of the world. What are you doing in the Galapagos? Who cares about these turtles? Yes. My gosh. Please. Anyways, we'd like to once again thank Dr. Steve Levin for joining us on today's What If Discussed. If you want more What If, well, you can sign up for the What If Explorers Club newsletter. It's got tons of cool science stuff, science news. You also find out what we're doing here at What If. To sign up, go to whatifshow.com. Next week on the program, we talk octopus. Octopi? Well, it's actually, here's something that a lot of people don't know. It's actually octopuses. Really? Yes. Octopi is, it's acceptable and it's become part of the lexicon, but it derived from a uh, misunderstanding. Most, a lot of Latin, Latin uh, plurals end with I. Mm-hmm. So I think people just assumed that octo- plural of octopus would be octopi. It is actually octopuses. Octopi is wrong, but yet we do accept it as part of our colloquial language. And also a uh, little uh, funny fact for you, the least popular bakery item at most bakeries is o- octopi. Octopi. <laughs> octopi. Yes. Uh, well, anyways, we'll be talking about octopuses with the director of the film, My Octopus Teacher. A lot of you have heard about this. It's on Netflix right now. Uh, director is Pippa Ehrlich, and you won't want to miss that. That's it for today on the show. We're going to see you next week on What If Discussed.